We go to confession every week, and we say the exact same sins. We go to communion every week, perhaps every day, and yet we remain what we are. We make Lenten resolutions, and they are forgotten in a few days. We know all this. The question is why? St. Alphonsus Liguori gives us the answer. The reason, he writes, why so many do not advance in the spiritual life and even fall back into the same grave sins is because they do not work to love Jesus Christ. Other things may be practices of the spiritual life, but love of Jesus is the spiritual life. I'm also reminded of what Abbot Dom Marmion wrote. For many, love of Jesus Christ is a great focus in their spiritual life. This is not good enough. Love of Jesus Christ is not part of the spiritual life. Love of Jesus is the spiritual life. The reason why we do not advance and keep stumbling back on our pet vices is because we are not sufficiently rooted in love of our Lord. Where this is lacking, everything is lacking. But where this is present, everything is present. This was our Lord's only complaint to St. Margaret Mary. He could have complained of a lack of faith, of hope, of mortification, but he didn't. He complained only of a lack of love. And this is why he revealed his sacred heart, so that we could return love for love. This evening, let us consider an example of a holy man whose life was filled with love for Jesus Christ, and because of this, was able to do great things for God. Edward Maxim, the future Father Matteo, was born on November 18, 1875, in Peru. He was a pious and high-spirited boy. His favorite occupation was to pretend to say Mass for his sisters, he insisted upon preaching as well, and so locked the door on his siblings and housekeepers so that they would have to stay and hear the whole thing. From an early age, he loved to pray and put holy images up in his room. He was very productive and was intelligent. He would later say, My vocation was formed in the greenhouse of a beloved family circle. From his earliest youth, love of the sacred and immaculate heart seemed to come natural to him. Whenever he spoke about the sacred heart, his voice betrayed great love. When time came for his first Holy Communion, it made a great impression on him, as it did with so many saints. Soon, he volunteered to serve Mass and would walk nearly a mile daily to do so. The good catechesis his family provided for him paid off. He was spending time one day in a nearby house filled with Catholics except the house's master. 
Edward was pretending to give a sermon when the master of the house rushed in and fell on the floor, evidently on the verge of sudden death. I wish to die a Catholic. I wish to be baptized, he cried. The family looked for a priest, but were unable to find one. But little Edward took a sponge of water and squeezed it over the man's head, pronouncing the correct formula. It was his first convert. His religious vocation came at an early age. It was inspired by the edifying example of several holy priests he knew. But it was also inspired by the heroic story of St. Damien of Molokai, the apostle to the lepers who died in 1889, a member of the congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary, the order Edward would eventually join. It was a perfect fit for him. When younger, a man pointed to Edward and said, Your son will be a pastor someday. Edward let the man know that he disagreed. I am going to be a missionary, he replied. Despite his goodwill, the novitiate was a trying time. When he left his loving family, Edward, whose name would soon be Brother Matteo, had to grope his way through darkness. Everything seemed to be against him. He suffered with anxiety and depression. His health suffered in the mountain region where the novice house was situated. His novice master was a stern man and partially deaf, which did not help things particularly. He tried desperately to fit in. He tried to put on a show of forced happiness. When on a boat with his companions, he thought it might be amusing to capsize it, but he only managed to nearly drown the novitiate. After this, his novice master pulled him aside and said, My son, something isn't going well. Tell me what it is. After this, things began to grow more normal, and through prayer and time, he grew into a mature religious. His classmates would later remember him for his affability, his gift of preaching, his love of mortification, and his zeal for the Blessed Sacrament. By the time he took final vows, it was said of him, only the angels are better and purer than this young man. After several years of seminary training, he was ordained a priest on December 17, 1898. This young man had only one desire, the love of the sacred and immaculate hearts of Jesus and Mary, and to conquer the entire world for them. His first apostolic labor was raising funds to build a university in Chile. Errors were spreading all throughout South America, and Father Mateo wanted to found a college to promote true counter-revolutionary intellectual formation. Two years were spent raising funds and building the school, leaving Father Mateo to work for hours every day. But writes his biographer, in divine undertakings, there is no solid foundation without the cross. Right after the college was completed, 
a massive earthquake shook Chile, toppling all of Father Mateo's work to the ground in a matter of moments. Devastated, he was tempted to ask our Lord, as he admitted later, Why, Lord? The college was for you. With his usual generosity, Father Mateo helped the victims of the earthquake. But this work, combined with stress and already poor health, took its toll, and he suffered a breakdown. The doctor said he would live, but that he absolutely could not work for an entire year. Not one to be idle, he took this time to fulfill a dream to visit the holy sites of Europe. And it was in doing this that his life would be changed. August 24th, 1907. Father Matteo enters the chapel of Paré la Moniel, the place where our Lord appeared to St. Margaret Mary Aliquil, and kneels down to pray. I saw that altar, he writes, the most beautiful, the most holy after that of Calvary. There I prayed, and suddenly, within myself, I felt a very strange shock. I was struck by a blow of grace, very strong, yet very gentle. When I arose, I was completely cured. Then kneeling in the sanctuary, absorbed in an act of thanksgiving, I understood what our Lord wished of me. That very evening, I conceived the plan to conquer the whole world, home by home, family by family, for the love of the heart of Jesus. His life's mission was revealed to him that evening, to teach families to grow in love of Jesus Christ by enthroning him in their home. But Father Matteo, despite his miraculous cure, wanted to seek permission for his endeavor. Already in Europe, he was granted an audience with Pope St. Pius X. He knelt before this great Pope and asked, Holy Father, permit me to be an apostle of the Sacred Heart. Let me go to work and conquer for him the entire world, home by home, family by family. No, my son, the Pope replied. I command you, do you understand? Not only do I permit you, but I order you to give your life to this work of salvation. To save the family is to save society. Consecrate your life to it. Father Matteo next sought the permission of his religious superiors. And after a period of initial skepticism, they gave him permission. For over 50 years, his preaching would take him far and wide. First, he would go all around Europe. Spain was one of the most receptive countries. Because of him, crowds of people would enthrone their homes to the Sacred Heart. In fact, a huge monument in honor of the Sacred Heart would be put up under his influence. Father Mateo is credited, in fact, for keeping communism out of Spain because it was he who prepared the Spanish families to be strong in their faith. And if Spain had completely fallen to communism, world history would certainly have been different. England, which, which hundreds of years before had exiled Father Colombier, 
St. Margaret Mary's confessor, actually welcomed Father Matteo. This humble priest, although a polyglot, was nervous about speaking English. I speak English like a Spanish cow, he objected. Nonetheless, he went to England and visited 18 of the 25 dioceses in that country, gave 75 sermons in cathedrals and churches, gave 12 priest retreats, and spoke to 120 religious orders. France, Italy, and Portugal were next. Everywhere he went, the message ignited his hearers. It is a Pentecost of love that Father Matteo has stirred up in Italy, wrote one observer. Everywhere he has brought a cloud of divine love. Families all over Europe enthroned their homes to Jesus Christ. He next went to the Orient, where he preached many, many conferences on priestly holiness. The priest, he said, found his perfection in burning love for the sacred heart and earnest zeal for souls. The Oriental priests were very receptive to his message, and this was providential because it was only a few years after he gave these retreats that many of the priests would be called to martyrdom during the horrible era of communism. He spent a great deal of time in America. He warned the Americans that the devil was going to besiege the family and would attack marriage and the natural law in that country. As a solution to this, he proposed enthronement to the Sacred Heart so that Catholic families would never fall prey to these vices. Among other places he visited, he spent a great deal of time in Bardstown, Kentucky, one of the four original dioceses in America. The priests in Kentucky loved Father Matteo's message. When he left the state, Father Matteo said, I never would have thought that my message could be received with such fervor. While it seems he never worked a miracle himself, the enthronement to the Sacred Heart brought about miracles of grace. In fact, he told Pope Benedict XV, I have lost faith in miracles, because to have faith it is necessary not to see, and I am daily seeing and hearing miracles. He tells the story of one family whose father was away from the church. The desperate wife told Father Matteo, the enthronement is my only hope. She asked her husband's consent to enthrone the family, and he surprisingly agreed, although he did not want to be part of the ceremony. When Father Matteo came and enthroned our Lord, the husband kept peeking his head into the room to look at the image of our Savior. At the end of the day, he embraced his wife and said, Whom have you let into this house? I do not see him, but I feel him. There is someone in this house. He made a, con a good confession the next day. Another time, Father Matteo was attending the bedside of a sick man. He had been away from the church for many, many years, and was only converting at the eleventh hour. Suddenly, his poor, humble maid walked in and said that for years all her prayers, communions, and sacrifices had been for one purpose only, for the conversion of her master. 
Now that it had been completed, this St. Monica was content to go to God. Another time, he had been preaching for a week at a cathedral, speaking about St. Therese, whom he greatly loved, her hidden apostolate of prayer and suffering. During his thanksgiving after Mass, he asked our Lord, Dear Jesus, I wish that you would send me a little hidden soul to consecrate herself like little Therese, to love, pray, and suffer, that you may reign in individual souls and in families. Give me that soul today, immediately, as a pledge of your approval of the crusade of love. Nearly as soon as he finished praying, the sacristan brought forward a young lady who said to him, Father, I have heard of the enthronement, and I believe it to be God's work. But I know you want a soul like St. Therese to love, pray, and suffer. I have come to offer myself, if you will have me, to be consecrated in this way for the establishment of the kingdom of the Sacred Heart. His preaching was filled with zeal. One priest wrote of him, When he speaks, he is all fire. He stirs up the fire. He throws fire. In order not to be affected by it, you would have to run for cover. His style was simple. The goal of all his sermons was to cement true love for Jesus Christ into his hearers. To priests, he would emphasize the necessity of having a solid spiritual life, because without that, their ministry would be sterile. He would tell religious to become true lovers of the heart of Christ, considering that they had been loved in a special manner. To the faithful, who would constantly emphasize their special role as Christ's standard bearers in the world. He saw attacks against the family from all sides, and saw that it was only in making Jesus the king of the family that the problems would be solved who had preached this almost to his dying day in 1961. Father Matteo's life aptly illustrates what St. Alphonsus taught. He never was lukewarm in his spiritual life, because he was ignited with love for Christ. What, asked one author who wrote about him, may be asked is the secret of his success. The answer is simple. It is his flaming love for God. He is all on fire with divine charity. It is impossible that fire should not burn, that all who come in contact with him should not be kindled. Like the master, he has come to cast fire on earth. But how can we imitate Father Matteo? We can do what he asked give our homes and our families to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and if we have already done so, to live up to that enthronement better. The ceremony itself involves setting up an image of the Sacred Heart, and, by a special prayer, enthroning the house and family to Jesus Christ. Why is this done? To make our Lord the King and center of the family. It should preferably be done by a priest, but can be done by the head of the family as well. A special day is chosen, preferably a first Friday 
or some Christological feast, and several days of preparatory prayers are said beforehand. Then the day arrives and the family is enthroned. Afterwards, it is suggested that the family renew its consecration to the Sacred Heart twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening before bed. They should try to emphasize that Jesus is now a member of the house. Reading selections from the gospel as a family are highly recommended. But Father Matteo realized that to truly live the enthronement, sacrifice is needed. And so, he suggested that families set aside one day of a month, preferably the night of the first Thursday into first Friday morning, and hour by hour, or at least for an hour or two a night, keep vigil with the Sacred Heart. This practice, difficult admittedly, is not necessary for the living of the enthronement. But it is a sacrifice greatly pleasing to our Lord. The children of wrath are oftentimes wiser than the children of light. People addicted to vice are willing to sacrifice sleep. People determined to accomplish worldly things are willing to sacrifice sleep. And why can't we? You know, the Russian Orthodox have a tradition to always keep a vigil lamp before an icon of our Lord. They will scrupulously see that it does not go out. Let us not be outdone in piety by heretics. People do not advance in their spiritual life because they do not love Jesus Christ. They love something else. Maybe the TV is enthroned instead, who knows? But we should conclude with the words of sacred scripture. As for me and my house, I shall serve the Lord. Let your house be Christ's, and you will see the power of his heart.